This is the 82nd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about the paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me, as always, are my dear co-hosts Robin Sensian and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello. Good evening. Let's get the show on the road. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Deck app. In this episode, we will hear more of the same. The same being podcast hosts going down with another 4-0 at local weekly play. What is going on? Are we the end boss now? After that, the Basic Land Connoisseur panel will gather to talk about what to sleeve up in the current iteration of Alternative Merfolk. Stay tuned for that, but first, Robin... What is up with your paper play? Yeah, so Naya Depths keep delivering for me and I succeeded to manage another 4-0 at the local game store. Bringing me to an quite amazing 11-1 so far in this league. Feels really good. The matchups were against four-color Yorian Zenit. And in game one, I had a Merit Lage, rather quick one. And in game two, I had a Minsk and Boo that took over the game. I think it was the second Minsk and Boo that really did it. <laughs> it usually is. Like the first one eats a bit of resources and the second one closes the game. And then I was up against Cephalid Breakfast. In game one, again, I had a fast Merit Lage before he managed to combo. In the second game, I had a very, really interesting hand. He was on the Shuko plan. And I have a crop rotation for a bog. I had a tower of the Magistrate, which can give a creature protection from the said Shuko. And uh, I managed to draw an Endurance as well. And Endurance is, you know, sometimes uh, frowned upon in this matchup because, like, if they have the, the other combo with the Nomad Cell and Core, they can just keep milling through your endurance or just take it with a cabal therapy but like in this case when they go in with a shuku they need to do it in sorcery speed so you can always at some point interact that what's happened i crop rotated he forced it but then ran into the endurance which bought me enough time to get the tower on online so that was a bit unusual win against cephalid breakfast yeah that tower tech i i haven't heard it in this you know it's it's usually the germ breaks that makes the germ fly off the living weapon but in this scenario it's super cool i i'm not sure if i've heard about that interaction so that's very cool yeah i mean it's it's not the greatest because they can of course win through it with the the other other part of the combo but it it gives you a little bit of time and sometimes that's all you need when you play a merit lage deck then i was up against a rather tough matchup tes and i think i moved to a really good hand in game one i play a land a mox a green sun for an arbor and a reclaimer and he plays on his term i think he wins the die roll and on his term he plays uh a Wishclaw Talisman. And I have enough mana in the following turn to green sun for Liberator and just kill the Talisman. And I think like, yes, now I bought myself enough time to assemble the combo. But he had a nauseum in his hand. So the next time he just plays Rituals and a nauseum and wins. It was still a nice line, like finding all your outs. 
that's sweet anyways exactly and also also like developing the mana really quick so i could be as fast as possible then in game two of course a lot of cards come in from the sideboard i think i have deafening silence and i follow up that with uh greenson's in it for a collector oof and i think he has one prismatic ending that kills the oof but he can't get rid of both and then uh, on the final game against tes i have a hand which is land mox into collector oof which is really nice and he plays petal led opal and then just pass the turn and i'm like yes high oh, score <laughs> i'm going to play this collector roof into this but then in my draw step he silences me oh, oh, man. <laughs> so i just play my land and pass and then he goes off with an echo to give me a completely new hand but luckily he bricks on that one <laughs> so we can't win at that same turn and uh, we ha- we keep drawing a few cards you know TES doesn't re- really have any draw spells anymore and I think I managed to counter a brainstorm with a pyroblast Oof. as well Oof. yeah that feels good yeah and I think I, I don't really have a-, a red mana for the pyroblast so he has seen it with the thoughtsies and-, and-, and left it there <laughs> but uh, I have a crop rotation oh, <laughs> for a taiga <laughs> so it's like crop into taiga for pyroblast on his brainstorm and maybe that wins the game because I managed to assemble a win before he does Nice. And then onto the final onto the final game I'm up against Jeskai Mentor. And in game one, I think I misread his deck a little bit because we both mull to five and he makes three consecutive land drops and then just plays a mentor. That's like his third first three turns i play a reclaimer on turn one or turn two and since he don't have an answer for that i'm pretty sure that he is out of removal so i just speed run to a merit lage because i think it's safe and it turns out to be as well but i only seen Le- uh, land drops and mentors so i think that he is on a quite a controlly deck but it's actually more of a delver-esque tempo deck he plays dragon street channeler and a lot of like cantrips and mentor as the sort of top end is this maybe like a new version of the uh, the jedi knights deck yeah you could say that i, I don't think that he plays the oil what's it is called yeah, the mercurial, <laughs> the mercurial sp- spell yeah. but right. he should I, if he would play that i would say it's uh, yeah because that would be like the creature that is a draw engine to be like the mm. complementary creature but something similar i should yeah. say I've uh, I've seen uh, some people talking about Jedi Knights esque decks with uh, the third path iconoclast mentor and right, spell dancer right. with that card of one mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds that sounds really sweet. Good. Also very heavy on the mana, but that's what DRC is for, I guess. Yeah, and and DRC is such a good <laughs> like card in such a deck to just find what you need, and that was happening game two. I have a reclaimer with one mana up when he tries to kill it. And I crop because I think I need to defend this Reclaimer. It's my road to victory. So I crop for a Sajir step, but he has force of will. And that leaves me ugh, so behind. Yeah, that's never nice. <laughs> I lose the creature, I lose a land. That was really important for me. He just overwhelms me with value from like a Dragon's Raid channel and all of that. And I sort of flood out after that and doesn't really do anything powerful. But after that, I, I change my sideboard a little bit. I take in an Endurances to combat his Dragon's Raid channelers and play more as if he would be a Delver deck. 
Oh, right, but I don't I don't take out the Minskin boost. <laughs> so I, it's something in between, I guess. I keep in some of the Delver Hate cards, but I also keep some of the Grind cards because it's a little bit higher. And that is what happens in the final game. I manage to resolve a Minskin boo when he doesn't have an answer for it. I think there's a, a Hydra Blast, if I remember correctly, that comes after a few turns, but too, too little too late and Minskin boo Yeah, when the damage is done. Yeah, it, it's such a good uh, value card. It creates a lot of pressure like the opponent obviously they usually spend a plow on the on the 4-4 or like put a blocker in front of the trampler it, it, you accrue so much value with just that pressure that Minskambu creates if you get to fling like a 4-4 or a 7-7 it's just so good ah, so good so uh, yeah Naya Depths keep delivering the deck feels really good yeah you're definitely on a hot streak that's super cool yeah, do you feel uh, do you feel sort of the the end boss tinglings in your uh, card slinging fingers, or is it uh, way too early to to feel like a champion? I don't know. I I it feels good to be like up in the league because I never ever went to finals with one of those buys that is super good to have, and uh, I will try to maintain this position, of course. And I also think that Naidept is a little. It's a little bit hard to hate out as a deck unless you like bring completely different deck with some sort of combo deck that just smashes it. But like it's hard to put in good sideboard cards to just hate on I adepts. So I, I would feel much more with a target on my head if I had managed to do this with say eight casts or something like that. I think I would just be melted down into oblivion in that case. But I think with Nidepts I have a good fighting chance to, to keep the position. Yeah, oh, like cool. it it has like such a wide range. And I think that's why a lot of people who pick it up like rarely have to change deck. Yeah. Because it, it can adjust to so many metas. And also for you, this is looking, I mean, so good in the face of uh, some coming events, including the finals for the previous league. Keep that hot streak running. Christopher, what have you been up to at the tables? So I also played this first day and I brought the Riddlesmith combo. You know, when you've put the deck together, you want to play it a lot and uh, get some reps in. So I figured, hell, let's go. Like I've I've played so much Aluren recently so i i wanted to shake things up and play play some other decks for a bit so uh, right off the bat i'm up against dnt which uh, in my experience feels very tricky to play against as the riddlesmith deck uh, they have cards like falia they uh, sideboard mindbreak trap and there's just like so many ways for them to remove my engines like uh, the containment construct and riddlesmith unlike other combo decks you usually just do your thing and then you know for a storm deck tendrils the opponent but here like a big part of the plan is getting containment construct and riddlesmith into play and both of those creatures get swords to plowshares or solituded so it's definitely scarier but in game one i actually cast all of my four echoes of eons the same turn and bricked <laughs> yeah losing losing this was sort of sort of a shame uh, it happens like game two it was very rough but in game one i felt a, a bit unlucky i needed two more storm my opponent had a mother of runes with jitta in play and i needed two more storm because they could gain four life but that's just like such an achievement unlocked casting four echo of eons in the same turn it's sort of you have the moral win here i would say yeah yeah for sure like what's really fun about this this deck is that 
a lot of the card just digs towards another echo. You have all of those gambles. LED echo is kind of like the whole deck is just built to do that many times. And with a containment construct, you get to keep a lot of your good cards. Like you get to keep a gamble in exile so that if you draw a lotus petal or another LED or whatever, you can just play it, crack it and gamble again. And it's very good at casting many echoes. So that's super cool. But yeah, I, I picked up a loss again. DNT. Then I played up, uh, like I played against Merfolk, and this is kind of like a similar story, but this time I had to play against Horse of Will, the new Curse Catcher Lord, and Chalice, which my opponent cast Ouch. on zero in game one, mm. which is just too brutal when you're playing 23 zero drops. <laughs> but, you know, we still had, like, very fun games. I boarded in Surge Node. Yeah. You know, it's it's that hot tech that I saw Killer B played in, in the challenges. And, uh, you know, it's so sweet when you get to get it off Saga and then just tick up the chalice to one and play out all of your zeros. But... Two of my sagas <laughs> were wastelanded when they were on two. And one of them got uh, got the Merfolk Spreading Seas treatment. So there's this Merfolk that uh, has the Spreading Seas effect. And like that just straight up kills Saga. So that's uh, that was pretty rough. But it got pretty demolished. But we had super fun games. Like we were both just, uh, you know, enjoying the moment. So then I was up against a blue-black Omnitel. In game one, I get to do the classic Riddlesmith game, which is resolve a defense grid led into Echo from a multi-five. This led to a turn two kill. So that was great. Wow. <laughs> and uh, in game two, my opponent plays that Dolph the Wo- Voidwalker, which uh, instantly felt like lights out. You know, <laughs> all of my echo lines being gone. But so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I just need to draw sagas and go beat down. But, you know, it's kind of hard to just communicate to the deck what you need to draw. <laughs> so that didn't work out really well. And then my opponent just put a shieldred on the stack and I scooped them up. <laughs> because, like, all of my bubbles, everything, like, it's just going to be so bad. That's sort of the, like, practicing with Grist of milling Uro. <laughs> yeah, like, if I would have had Grist in the deck, mm, maybe easy. Money, but <laughs> I was just gonna say, have you had been playing Grist, you wouldn't have ended up in this situation, but sort of you chose not to. So what can we say? Look, you both you both spit the truth. Okay, I I I I can't defend myself. You're you're absolutely right. Should have played more Grist, <laughs> but uh, you know. So in game three, uh, this is <laughs> super stupid and funny. I go for a defense grid on turn one. My opponent forces. I play out like three zeros, lead an echo. Opponent takes their turn and just cantrips. I take my turn and proceed to play another defense grid, which gets forced again. So I dump a containment construct into play, gamble for echo and go again. My echo finds the third, a third defense grid because they always get shuffled <laughs> in. This resolves. Together with a riddlesmith, I get to kill my opponent. And at the end of the game, I'm sitting there with three Riddlesmiths into play, oh. just living my best life with the containment oh. construct. And I'm sitting there doing the what I did to Victor a couple yeah, of week, yeah, yeah, yeah. weeks ago. Trigger. Trigger, trigger, trigger. 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 <laughs> Eventually, like 10 people are standing around because they're like, what the... F- what the <laughs> fuck is going on? How many triggers can you resolve yeah, in the game? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I could have stormed a lot harder than I did but it was like 10, ten minutes t- like left on the clock and I was like I'm just gonna mm. grape shot for exaxes and get a beer mm. as I did that nice last match of the evening was against Cephalid Breakfast 
the TLDR is that my opponent drew their combo really fast and I had to mulligan to four and three in game one and two. <laughs> you know, any game is, is hard when that happens. I think overall, like closing thoughts, uh, so I went one three. I mulled a lot throughout the whole evening and I'm not sure if that's variance or just like what the deck does, but I counted up how many times I mulliganed and I mulliganed to three twice, four twice and five three times. So out of wow. nine games. So that's quite a lot. I got to keep one seven and that was the crazy game three against uh, blue black Omni. But uh, yeah, it does it does mulligan quite well due to lead echo. Yeah, I was, I was going you to just say. have to not play against uh, force force of will decks, and <laughs> I played against three of them. But uh, you know, it's still like it's it's you can't complain when you have a deck that's like super built to be able to go lead petal gamble for a new seven. I shouldn't sit here and cry about it. Had a great evening, still learning some new tricks. And uh, I'm going to put some grists in the deck, as Victor, uh, <laughs> the prophet, has told me. Yeah, it was such an awesome evening. If you look at sort of the, the meta that we have been talking about here, felt really good. And uh, we broke the record of Alpha Spiel, amounting up to 31 players for an ordinary Thursday Magic League day. That was really cool to see. That's actually very good. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. 31. And and also one nice thing is like even though, you know, the bands, it's feel goods and feel bads. Our, our resident initiative player, he came with the initiative deck, a legal one, and managed to 3-1, I think. So that's pretty cool. And also for, for the listeners out there, this is a, a 31 legacy thursday event with no proxies as well yes not saying that's a good or bad thing but just sort of putting into context the dedication of people in stockholm is sometimes it really comes forth yeah i i also think like it's uh, it's so fun to hear a lot of positive outlook after the bands because i haven't seen all that much yet because i i mainly play paper and not magic online but from what i've heard from people from what i've seen from some challenge results in this uh, first day event a lot of people seem very happy about this and i've seen more innovation this last one week and a half than i have uh, maybe in the last three months or so so that's always something that makes me happy fellow co-hosts i'm going to tell you a story the magic the gathering wiki the mtg wiki it states the following the cephalids are anthropomorphic octopus-like creatures having tentacles and a highly flexible body they have a more developed skeletal structure than normal octopi possesses originally they were a minor race below the merfolk within the mer empire until a ploy by Laquatius and Abosan enabled them to access more powerful magic. Mechanically, they were replacing merfolks in the Odyssey block. Cephalids, they have a monarchic system of government ruled by, over by an emperor and with a strong aristocratic hierarchy. In general, they are greedy creatures that want nothing more than power and control. Cephalids tend to be extremely cunning and manipulative, often plotting behind people's backs to climb up the social ladder. As a result, 
high-ranking cephalids tend to be either extremely paranoid or fall victim to assassination. Cephalids dislike most other races, with particular hatred being reserved for air breathers, including both surface dwellers <laughs> and sea mammals, such as whales and seals. They also have a great contempt for the sea creatures living near the bottom of the ocean. So, with this fantastic backstory, of course, we are moving into the territory of discussing which basic lands should go into the old, loved, and currently rather viable cephalid breakfast deck. Also, many thanks to Franco Bolli in our Discord server for suggesting this topic for Basic Land Connoisseur. If not, I would not have had the chance to give you all of this redundant information. So uh, you can thank him for this segment <laughs> so far. Yeah, but which lands, which lands should go in there, Robin? Take it away. All right. So, you know, we all have different procedures how to go about finding the right lands for this deck. And I started out uh, looking for underwater cities as an island, but like did not really feel any of the ones that I found. Then I started googling for deck pics of Cephalid Breakfast and I found one from Javier Dominguez from way back that was like b- before Calder Complete, so it was like a better skull deck. And that one had uh, the unhinged island in it, so I thought maybe I should go with the unhinged. But then I then I decided to Let's uh, see what the chatbot has to say about this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the chat keep it here. <laughs> yes. So I asked, which is the most aesthetic island and swamp for the deck Cephalid Breakfast in the format legacy of the game of Magic the Gathering? That was my question. And the answer, I, I love this introduction because it sounds a little bit insecure. <laughs> in the format legacy of the game of Magic the Gathering. The most commonly used island and swamp for the deck Cephalid Breakfast are the original white-bordered versions of the cards. These versions are considered to be the most aesthetically pleasing by many players, and they are also the most recognized and iconic versions of the cards. That being said, aesthetic preferences are subjective and are ultimately up to the individual taste. Some players may prefer the newer, full art versions of the island and swamp, or they may prefer foil or alternate art versions. Ultimately, it's up to the individual player to decide which versions of the card they found most visually appealing. And so, like, I followed the chatbot's <laughs> idea at both its suggestions, because I went with my most appealing island and uh, planes, which is also the original white-bordered printing. So I g- went with uh, my favorite island and my favorite planes from the revised set, which are my go-tos when I play white and blue. So uh, which uh, which versions are that? All right, so I'm not really sure about numbers here. Oh, I am sure about the numbers here because <laughs> <laughs> the very organized Victor Bernards has been doing some uh, administration in the background. It's revised 294 by Jesper Murfors, that is the planes, and the island is 296 by Mark Poole. Thank you, Victor. Thank you. This is fantastic. I, I love that I haven't given the singlest thought to using ChatGPT for this <laughs> purpose, but it's perfect. I have nothing else to say. This is glory. Well, I'm kind of happy to see that they patched ChatGPT. <laughs> they must have inserted some sort of uh, populist coward patch to it. Like, uh, these, <laughs> this is the public opinion. But, uh, like, yeah, these uh, these basics are really great. I like them a lot like it's hard to beat 
some of these original pieces because they're just so connected to the game itself. And this deck do have some history. It's not brand new, although it's probably better now than it ever has been. So I, I do think that these picks are always going to be a banger. What about you then, Christopher? Did you put some actual thoughts into this? <laughs> yes. So for me, I kind of wanted to uh, go back to the roots of uh, what the engine is in this deck. So first, when looking at the planes, it's Tempest version 322 by Therese Nielsen. And this is a, a barren landscape with uh, very blue clouds. And this is exactly the kind of scenery I would imagine the nomads traverse. And the marriage in this picture between a very normal looking plains and this extremely blue sky gives me very strong blue-white vibes. But the deck, although it is primarily blue-white, it does play some darker magic, which is where the island comes in, which is from Odyssey and its version 335 by Alan Pollack. Here you have a very white sky and uh, the sea is uh, varying shapes of blue going from very dark to lighter blue. But then there's a lot of black in the picture. There are some cliff sides and uh, there's this island which is very black. It's like either there's a big shade throwing like blocking the sun from these paths. And this is where the Cabal Therapying and Dread Return takes place after the Illusionist has put all of the cards in the bottom of the ocean. The sun doesn't grace them with their presence, so you just cast them from the bottom of the ocean. And to go back to what Victor talked about uh, with the Illusionists, well, the Cephalids casting powerful magic, they do it from the bottom of the ocean. And uh, the worst feeling in the world is when they get to flashback those black spells for free and you know it's over. So these cards, the first, the planes is from the same block as the, the nomads of Ilkor. And then, of course, this is Odyssey, which is from the same block as Cephalid Illusionist. So I wanted to both marry them in colors on the picture, but also the Keysake, original Keysake cards. So what do you guys think? I think these are super good choices. And and as you say, like this is one of the few decks that actually plays creatures that are printed like in the 90s. I mean, all of the creatures have been power crept out and you only play like the old spells and the old lands, but never you play the old creatures except in this deck that has been playing like this combination of two stupid creatures that mill your deck since its inception, basically. And I think you've done a really good job and that finding lands from the same era and with the same feel as these creatures. They work well, very well in this in this deck, I should say. And in that sense, my revised choices is a little bit off because there were no cephalids in revised. <laughs> but there were swords to plowshares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the only other creature I can think of on top of my head that has been around forever is Mother Runes. Yep. That has served sort of a similar purpose in Death and Taxes since its inception, although Death and Taxes has completely 
changed. Um, but regarding these choices, to add on to what you said, Christopher and, and Robin's comments, which I all think um, super valid. I, these are great, great choices. In the island, I can also imagine narcomibas, you know, swimming around as well. Not difficult to see them hang around in these sort of shallow archipelago-esque waters. I think it all fits really nicely. And I also think that these lands would look really good together next to each other on the battlefield, which I think matters when it comes to these basic land connoisseur choices, because yeah, you are supposed sure. to play them. Yeah, lands. that's right. So I, I tried to get uh, cards that have somewhat a similar color palette, but one is uh, a lot more matte and uh, doesn't have as expressive colors, but I wanted both of them to be kind of color light. So yeah. But uh, what about you, Victor? Can you tell us about your picks? Yeah, so I went all the way down the rabbit hole with this rather expansive information on the MTG Wiki. I mean, what I uh, sort of regurgitated earlier is really a very brief version of all the text about the cephalids that is actually on there. But I wanted to tap in, no pun intended, to the aristocratic, sort of bureaucratic, but also sinister nature of these creatures. I I did find, uh, I'm going to start with the island, an undercity island that I liked because it looks like a cephalid undercity and that's number 46 from Jumpstart by Maurizio Calle which is basically semi-shallow ocean bottom there is this structure it looks like are these sort of warped corals is this a sea cliff that has been shaped do people actually live here or is it just a random cliff that looks like someone could live on it you don't really know but it's, it's quite light even though you're sort of submerged so it's i get the feeling that we're sort of quite close to quite close to the surface which sort of makes sense to me it basically sort of goes into this is where cephalids could live but with the, with the planes which is rather new. This is from Ixalan 260 by Christine Choi. I have found, I think, the most uh, sinister-looking planes I have uh, laid my eyes on because this is a planes that sort of is, is waters. These are water planes somehow, and there's rocks in it, and there's snow. It's like a shore somehow, and, and the sky is, is gray to an almost black, sense in in large components of it. It it looks super bleak and just horribly unfriendly, even sort of uh, actively ghastly. This could almost be art for a wasteland because it, it, it feels colorless. And exactly the type of planes that cephalids would sort of enjoy spending their time. Those are my choices. Real good choices. I really like the under underwater city, I should say. That's the sort of aesthetic that I was looking for, but did not find in my brief attempt. And uh, also this planes is super interesting, as you say. I wonder if, is it an island that you see on it? Or is it like just a mountain on a plains <laughs> because the like the the ground looks as it might be water but it could also be like a sea of grass so to say but it's hard to say because the the picture is is just like white yellowish white and and gray and black that's the only colors in it so it's really hard to see if it's water or or grass but it's it's as you said it's super sinister looking and it could definitely be a wastes or a wasteland or something like that really cool I love these planes. For me, it does all of the right things. When the mission is to draw a really lifeless planes, I think this is one of the one of the best examples of that. Everything about this card 
looks lifeless and ominous. Whatever's in the background, like it, it looks like uh, some sort of metallic castle. And my head is instantly drawn towards smokestack because there's this large cloud I see it. I see coming it. in the background. My head is instantly going, is that a part of the cloud or is it the smoke coming out of this building? Or is all of the clouds actually just smoke from this building? I don't know, like it's it's a very captivating picture. And I definitely recommend listeners if we post these on our discord to go check them out like this planes is very sick when talking about underwater pictures this island it's clean it does its job really well and with the lore from the from the pre-connoisseur introduction part i think this is a very nice place to be if you're a cephalid (laughs) if you know what i mean like it's the place to be but i there's something about water art when you can see rays of light making it to the bottom or hitting some structures underwater there's this just one ray of light that hits this thing like this uh, (laughs) building weird construction yeah this construction this underwater construction and uh, it does give off some mighty vibes that some powerful wizard underwater vis- wizard is there so yeah I, I i really enjoy these pictures these are really great and that is all we have for this episode what alternative merfolk lands are your favorites please share your pics in our discord we accept all kinds of deck pics also there you can find all the basic land connoisseur pics that we have made since back in episode five when the premiered this segment you will find the link to this discord in this episode description in addition to discord you can hit us up on twitter at sthlm legacy we are also present personally on social media robin where can our listeners learn even more about four owing from you you can prevent one damage to my cephalids at jacka underscore bow at twitter Ooh, preventing that damage. That was a bad one. No, no, no. <laughs> but what does it do? Now, now when you said that, this is a short derail. Do you know, <laughs> do you, do? does anyone here know what the activated tap ability on Cephalid Illusionist is? I obviously don't even know what the Nomads and Ilkor do. So. <laughs> Black mana tap something, I have no idea. Everyone just kind of dies to the to the target cephalid illusionist ability but this might come as a shock to a lot of listeners that it actually has a two colorless blue tap prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by a creature target creature you control this turn so i have seen blocks with cephalid illusionist and activate this however if you want to listen to more uh, weird-ass uh, magic takes, you can follow me on uh, MonolithMTG on Twitter. And if you want more suggestions for where to find Epic Darkness, you can hit me up at Disco Drogo also on Twitter. And that is the end of the 82nd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. I am Victor Bernhardt. Special thanks to you for listening. The Great Ferenus has written our music. If you want, you can find more of their work on Spotify. Until our next episode, shout out to one of the greatest villains ever, Ursula. Where is our fucking expanded universe when we need it?